you can imagine those times. I was born in the 70s and black-white relations were always sort of questioned maybe. So I always felt mum and dad's partnership wasn't easy. fairly brutal out that way in terms of the activity, the economic development, the survival instincts, the you know, retaining of culture. People really have to fight. Welcome to the RM Williams Outback Great Australians podcast. I'm Terry Cowley from RM Williams Outback magazine. I hope you enjoy hearing from the inspirational men and women who fairly leap from the pages of our new Great Australians publication. One such is the CEO of the Yothu Yindi Foundation, Denise Bowden. Denise is building such important bridges for the people of northeastern Arnhem Land and I spoke with her just after the massive celebration that is the Gama Festival. Big thanks to Elders Insurance for sponsoring our podcast. At Elders Insurance, the agents are local and trusted members of the community who get to know you and your situation. This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Yorta Yorta people. We pay our respects to their culture and leaders, past, present and emerging. Denise Bowden is the high-achieving daughter of a Northern Territory station overseer and a strong, independent Indigenous mother who has applied her own life experiences to her leading role with one of Australia's most culturally powerful and respected Indigenous organisations, the Yothu Yindi Foundation. Thank you very much for your time, Denise. Thanks for uh, talking with me today. Denise, perhaps if we start at the beginning, can you tell me what it was like being raised with your sisters near Catherine? Well, it was actually a blissful childhood for us. You could think of fishing down on the amazing Catherine River, pulled a few barrows out of there in our time, motorbike riding, horse riding. It was pretty hard going yakka though. You'd be up at the crack of dawn working, a bit of blood, sweat and tears fell on the Carbine Park station on numerous occasions. But, you know, we also learned to drive when we were about eight years of age on a box, you know, that would allow you to see over the steering wheel and drive graders and, you know, all of those things. Uh, horses were a big part of that. And I think it was a pretty idyllic life. Uh, a lot of the station kids were close by. And when I say close by, it'd be probably an hour away. Um, so, you know, we're a pretty tight bunch. Also very grateful to have been sent away to boarding school because we sort of turned into rough scoundrels there at one stage. Mum was getting a bit terrified that we wouldn't grow up to be the ladies she wanted us to be. So off we went, packed away to boarding school. But those station days were pretty amazing. We had a lot of, you know, Noel Buntine, in his time used to visit a lot of those show circuits and the racing circuits so we we all traveled together so we were fairly tight and I've still got a lot of those relationships today even out in Victoria River Downs very fortunate I'd say Terry very lucky Denise tell me about your parents they sound pretty amazing oh so Barry Govan and May Govan are our parents those were times when you used your body quite physically and laboriously. So you would get up at the crack of dawn, you'd work, you'd work so hard and you'd be absolutely, you know, spent by about 6pm. And so 6pm we'd be all be in bed pretty much because we'd be so tired, the daily toil, pretty relentless, you know. And in many cases, mum and dad were doing some really hard yards, trying to establish properties and trying to bed down fencing and boundaries or put up 
windmills or erect water tanks, things like that. So those are difficult times because you were actually trying to create a lifestyle that was sustainable on country that a lot of time was very much virgin bushland. And also maintaining those large, vast properties obviously took a lot of time too. So we do a lot of boundary riding and things like that. Dogs are a very big part of our our life, working dogs. And so mum and dad gave us that, that work ethic Uh, We grew up in amongst it and so it was kind of ingrained in us that you would work hard and you would then reap the results of your hard work pretty much. So really good grounding for my two other sisters and I. And of course, what also used to be a big part of our life was mum baking just get absolutely blown away by the fact that she'd look in the cupboard and there'd be five different things and she'd punch out these amazing dishes, you know. (laughs) So we grew up in a lot of rice pudding, shall I say, Terry. Sounds (laughs) great. Pretty good stare to hear. So your dad's Scottish born and your mum's Indigenous, so you always kind of had different influences in your background there. Yeah, very much. And you can imagine those times. I was born in the 70s and black-white relations were always sort of questioned maybe. So I always felt mum and dad's partnership wasn't easy. I mean, kudos to them for that. They've stuck together for many years. I learned a lot of uh, amazing things. So butchering a bullock, like I know how to do that, which is crazy, right? It was like almost like a big family occasion because you're gathering meat for the entire station. The family would whip up these amazing sausages and be created by hand. And it's all very much a family coming together on that station. So very lucky very lucky. Fast forward in time to 2010 and you were the freshly appointed first female CEO of the Yothu Yindi Foundation. Tell me about that night when you sat beneath a star-studded sky and watched babies in nappies mimicking cultural dances at the Gama Festival. Do you remember that? Been at the Yothu Yindi Foundation for some time now, well over a decade. I think it's like 13 years now. And yes, I do. I recall it vividly because I thought, oh my goodness, what am I doing here really? Where I was appointed is to service the Northeast Arnhem region. That's not my home, but I know a lot of those families over there. And I'd been going back and forth to the Gama Festival uh, for many years with my husband and my own children long before being appointed the CEO. So I guess I had, uh, you know, my trainer wheels on at that stage. I remember sitting and watching these babies dancing on that beautiful sparkling sand and in their nappies and they just stay on that bungle ground. They just dance out there with their families. And I remember thinking how incredible that Northeast Arnhem Land is in particular that Yungle culture out that way, you know, is so vibrant and she's deeply um, embedded in a philosophical understanding. So watching those kids on the bungle ground uh, about 13 years ago and they've grown up now. I've got this amazing array here inside the Yorthi Unity Foundation of, of imagery from you know when I started in 2010 and over the years we've captured those very same children grow up over the next 13 years and it's quite amazing to see that growth and I'm seeing it and families staying together and being a part of the festival but young men dancing together on that bungle ground and having immense pride and they're there because they're there with family they're not getting into trouble anywhere else they're there with us teenagers as you well know terry are a bit of a handful (laughs) 
having those kids and, and keeping those kids with us along the way has been really, I think, a, a great deal of pride in, in terms of what the Youth Unity Foundation is able to deliver. Speaking about Arnhem Land, you mentioned it wasn't your home. I mean, how did you build trust? Um, you know, it's a poorly serviced, isolated area, different languages, male dominated. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my husband has been the legal advisor for the Gumach people out that way, and he had been doing that for quite some time. And it's fairly brutal out that way in terms of the activity, uh, the economic development, the survival instincts, the you know retaining of culture. People really have to fight. They have to fight to retain what is important to them. And you've also got to survive in a, as you mentioned, very remote setting, very limited opportunities around you. So my husband was the legal advisor. And so I traveled with him when we had little bubs. And so people knew me as a family unit. I came as a family unit to Northeast Arnhem Land. And I had many years to develop and establish trust. Being appointed as the CEO of the Orthogindi Foundation and the director of the Gama Festival was a completely different angle again. So I would like to relay that the Yorga people in Northeast Arnhem Land watch what you say and whether you're going to deliver what you say you're going to deliver. And we're going to watch you walk the walk and talk the talk, uh, so to speak. If you don't walk the walk and don't talk the talk, then it'll come back and bite you on the bum pretty much (laughs) I always think Northeast Arnhem Land's far more sophisticated than in terms of its clan leadership and its politics than, say, Canberra's sittings of parliament. I think it's tenfold far more brutal because, you know, you don't get the kudos associated with it and you don't get the media coverage associated with it and it's just pure grind. But having said that, Northeast Arnhem Land's also very loyal. It's a are very loyal to their following. If you're looking after the community and, you can, and people can see what you do and the economic return that comes back to them or how they matter and are core and central of, of the work that we do, it pretty much all pans out. And I'm very fortunate to have had the respect of the local community. You mentioned it's very male-oriented. It, it is very male-oriented. But 13 years ago, people kind of didn't know what to do with a female CEO out that way. And so I also had had to kind of rub shoulders with people making very male-oriented decisions. And so I feel as if my male CEOs out that way created some space for me to do the work that I needed to do. There was obviously women and children that needed also looking after as much as anything, as much as the males did. And so I carved out a bit of a niche there and people allowed me to do that. Looking for Australia's best range of full-size pickup trucks? then you want a Ram truck. Get into your local Ram dealer for the best selection of powerful, capable and luxurious pickups all under one roof. With Australia's best range of full-size pickup trucks, Ram eats everything else for breakfast. Visit ramtrucks.com.au or see your Ram dealer today and get into a Hemi V8-powered Ram. Enough said. Most people have heard of Yothu Yindi, the band, but can you give us a bit of background to the Yothu Yindi Foundation, how it was set up and how it works? Well, obviously, people you know, know Yothu Yindi as in the music 
Trudy and Japana and Dr. Mandawa Yunapingu's influence. So uh, Dr. Mandawa Yunapingu is the brother now now past of our current chairman, uh, Galaroy Yunapingu. Uh, Galaroy's always been our chairman, a great leader, and many people are both aware of the Yunapingu brothers. So Yothi Yindi created this amazing music and it was an international, international success. The Yothi Yindi Foundation was set up in 1999, actually, so as to basically ensure that Indigenous people have got the same level of benefits and well-being and life opportunities as non-Indigenous people. So that's a hard sell, that one, because we add the layer of remote and those limited opportunities. All of a sudden, things get a little bit harder when you try to apply that to, say, a city-centric type of an organisation. So the Yothi Indy Foundation has always had an education focus. The Gama Festival has always been an annual event, which is basically the platform to which we can continue to progress our work. The Yothi Uni Foundation does a little bit more than that. We do a little bit more of lobbying and policy development also. Something very unsexy, such as horizontal fiscal equalisation through the GST distribution uh, in the Northern Territory. We made a, a very big impact on that because our argument was that when GST is just distributed across the Northern Territory, it's for Indigenous, disadvantaged and very remote locations. And those that are struggling a little bit harder than, uh, say, what somebody, some of the challenges in, say, city-centric would deal with are worlds apart. So very remote is dealing with so many different things and trying to establish things like connected water, housing when it's overcrowded, health issues, and we've got rheumatic heart disease in northeast Arnhem Land. So those are the different dynamics and trying to convey and communicate that to policymakers in Canberra was very difficult, but we've been able to communicate that. So that, so that work just alone was quite impactful across the nation. So the Youth Uni Foundation does all of those things, but we also try to create further opportunities for women in the women's healing or try to create some different models of curriculum that really point to a focus on Yongle culture and how you can bring bilingual into an education model. We had to go independent to do that. We couldn't do that inside the public system. So it's always hard yards inside the Yothi Indy Foundation, but look, the outcomes that we create have been nationally significant. Just had the Gama Festival just recently and we've, gosh, from the United States Ambassador and Caroline Kennedy coming across to the Prime Minister, but also the Chinese Embassy. Our stretch has gone across to Barcelona in Spanish curriculum, we have a long stretch and our roots are embedded even over in Japan. So I like to think even though the work is very difficult and you roll your sleeves up, the work that we actually carry to go international is really quite considerable and substantial. You mentioned education. Tell me about this Bush University. A lot of the work that we do is educational. And so if even if you look at the Gama Festival, what we try to convey and communicate is always educational. I mentioned before the deep philosophical background in the Yongle culture. I mean, that's always been educational, but take that away for a second and, and try to picture a pipeline for education. And we have established with our partners a three-stage effect, and the first of which is transition to six. And we have amazing partners in Barker College who have come across and we've created this amazing Yongle curriculum. It forces bilingual. And our argument has been when a Yongle child who comes from a Yongle speaking family turns up at their education door speaking 
full Yolngu Mata, they're confronted with English, which is a second language for them. It's a deficit approach. And so we upended it and turned it into a strengths-based approach. So transition to six, you'll see this amazing Yolngu curriculum written in there. Yolngu Mata is firstly spoken, but English is also written. English is nonetheless important. So we've retained the Western curriculum, but we've also built in this Yolngu-based model. The second component of that education pipeline would be a secondary residential learning, which we have created with Studio Schools Australia. Jennifer Westcott's been heavily involved in that, Business Council of Australia, Dr. Helen Drennan and June Oscar. So across that, that is a residential secondary component on site at the festival site called Gulkula that is being developed now where we're all you know, starting to do all of that community engagement curriculum design there. I'm just going to backtrack to that transition to six school. In under 12 months, we've got 90% school attendance rate there. So that it told us that we were doing something really right. And if you have a look at Department of Education, Northern Territory and their school attendance, they were getting something like 40% school attendance rate. So again, we jump in, we do jump in and we do sort of try to create that space for us to do that work. And sometimes that's very difficult for people to allow Indigenous people to create that ownership. So really it is, it's it's just getting in there and working your way through it. So 90% school attendance rate told us that the leadership and the young families being a part of those school, that, that curriculum and in the classrooms is what we're seeing 90% school attendance rate. So we've now um, continued to progress that. That young curriculum at, at the four should feed into a university type of facility where tertiary vet training should be the catalyst to coordinate all of the northeast Arnhem region and possibly further afield too, where we find in northeast Arnhem when there's so much overlap and replication that it sort of, it attempts this Bush University, the Gama Institute, attempts to try to avoid replication and with a strengths-based approach and getting outcomes all the time. So training and education and will be a major part of that. But ultimately, Terry, I'm not sure if you're aware, but the Arnhem Space Centre has been launching rockets out there this year. And if you look at that education pipeline, we would like to be training our rocket launches from transition to six. And we should be feeding into that curriculum so that by the time they're reaching an adult age, that all of those opportunities have already been factored into a child's education right from the get-go. That is the work that we've been doing. It hasn't been easy. We've had to convince a lot of senior bureaucrats that this is the way that Northeast Arnhem Land wants to go and it's based upon the vision of our board and stretches back to Dr Mundawai Yunapingal when he was alive in education being the real passion of his. It's been the driving force behind Gullaroy Yunapingal, our chairman and, and our board, and it's meant that me from little old Catherine has had to adapt to a young culture that has also been foreign to me. I find with all of these things, you don't get these outcomes in one and two year lumps, but in 10 years, we've stayed at it and we've continued to be consistent with our approach and we'll get that Gama Institute constructed in the next two years. Hopefully at the Gama Festival in 2025, Terry, you might come and join us and walk through the Gama Institute and we'll talk about today's interview and what that vision was today. I'd love to, of course, but just elaborating a bit more on the Gama Festival for those people who haven't been and 
Unfortunately, I'm one of them. Haven't been yet. Can you describe it? I remember coming through Minoru many years ago. It was a nine-hour trip and a lady at Minoru Station said to me, oh, gosh, where are you going? And I said, oh, look, I'm going to the Gama Festival. And she said, oh, gosh, they just do a corroboree up there, you know, on taxpayers' money. <laughs> I was like horrified. And I said, oh, goodness, I think it's a little bit more than that. People have been practising these ceremonial dances. They've been practising their song lines. They've been practising their paintings for, for many many, many years and that won't stop. <laughs> and in fact, if you actually try to understand it a little bit more, then you'll find there is actually a system in place and has been in operation for 60, 70, 80,000 years, you know. So the Gama Festival tries to highlight and celebrate a culture that should have dissipated many years ago. Indigenous culture and Indigenous people were the dying breed. To their credit, people like Mandua Yunapingo and Galore Yunapingo and all of those elders refused to let go of their culture. They refused to let go of the Yungumata. They refused to be told that that was to be put to bed and they should be embarrassed or ashamed of it. Well, I mean, goodness me, if you come to the Gama Festival, all you see is nothing but Australian national pride. And it's not as if, you know, the Australian flag doesn't fly at the Gama Festival. It's all incorporated. In fact, we package it together as being one of the most unique Australian cultures. We have astronomy and uh, educational elements and the cultural elements are built into that. Song lines from the Seven Sisters is tracked through that astronomy. We have an open air art gallery. Just want to bring it back to the personal uh, a bit, Denise. Because you and your husband, Sean, live on a Darwin rural acreage and you have two sons. Denise, what do you see for yourself in the future? What do you want to achieve? I'm pretty happy with my form at the moment, Terry. We're getting that Gama Festival done and probably going to take a back position to that next year and allow some other amazing leaders to, to step into those shoes. If I can get the education piece put together and get the tick of endorsement from our senior young leaders, then I reckon my cup is very full. What drives you, Denise? I get out of bed every day to create change and I, I love an outcome. I like a positive outcome. I like to be in a better place than I was the day before. And if that means bringing people along with us for the warts and all approach to creating those changes, then um, that'll keep me pretty happy. How do you feel about the position of Indigenous people in Australia right now? We've got to create some change for Australia. So I come from people that are disadvantaged and, and impoverished and so I'd like to see their lives made a little bit better and it means working together to create that. The Prime Minister came and committed a referendum and I, I just asked people to understand what that means. We're leaving behind a better nation and we've got to do it for the next generation, our kids and our grandkids. Well, thank you very much for your time, Denise, today and thank you very much for being part of the Great Australians podcast. Thanks very much. Thanks for lending your ears to the RM Williams Outback Great Australians podcast. The people we featured truly inspired us and made for a great yarn, which is why they were featured in our Great Australians publication. But you know what? Our bi-monthly RM Williams Outback magazine is chock full of people just like this, as well as so many of the amazing places that are all around our country, away from the bright lights of our cities. They're brought to life through the crafted words of our writers and the talent of our photographers and their stunning images. We'd love you to become a part of the Outback family by subscribing. 
go to www.outbackmag.com.au or give us a ring on 02-9028-5428 during business hours and you'll get to deal with a real human at the end of the line who will sort out home delivery for you wherever you are. That number again, 02-9028-5428. RM Williams Outback Magazine is also available in Good News Agents. Now's the time to upgrade to a new Ram truck. With unrivaled Hemi V8 power and a max brake towing capacity of up to four and a half tonnes. With quick delivery available right now, you can get behind the wheel of a new Ram faster than ever. Stocks are limited, so see your Ram dealer or visit ramtrucks.com.au today. Ram eats everything else for breakfast. Stock and delivery times vary by model and dealer. 